And hello, hello, welcome back to the Gay Racing Podcast. It is Zach and Alex here as always. Um, first episode of the new year, so happy new year to everybody. Um, and we're going to kick it off with a bang this year. Um, kind of like how NASCAR starts their year off with their biggest event. This might be one of our biggest episodes because we have someone very special joining us. It's going to be our very first ever IndyCar race car driver here today. Um, please, of course, welcome J.R. Hildebrand. JR, thank you so much for joining us today. Alex and I have been very excited for this all week. And <laughs> yes, it's yeah. it's a big it's a big deal. It is a big deal for us um to have someone like you on. So JR, hello. How are you doing today? And we always like let guests kind of introduce themselves. So if there's anything you want to like say to anyone that somehow doesn't know you, um, you know, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to be on. I've been excited for it this week too. So okay, uh, okay, look at us, Alex. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know definitely looking forward looking forward to chopping it up with you guys. Been a fan of uh, been a fan of your work since I since it sort of came on my radar last year, Uh-oh. and uh, always happy to always happy to jump in. I, I don't know if there's anything anything special that anybody doesn't know about me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what my deal is for indie this year. Uh, I don't know. You get some some of the some of the basic stuff out basic stuff out of the way. But yeah, I've been obviously been a fan of motorsport for much longer than I've been a driver, and mm-hmm. um, you know always enjoy always enjoy having a chat with other people who are as into it as I am. So looking forward to it. Um, so, like, how did you get into racing? Like, I'm I was I'm always curious how like actual race car drivers get into racing how did that happen for you yeah i think you know it's 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 hard to pinpoint one thing but when i was growing up i mean the, the easy way to explain it is when i was growing up my dad had a vintage race car when i was a kid so it was always just a hobby for him he was a cpa and at pricewaterhousecoopers big accounting firm in san francisco um i grew up in the was born in san francisco and grew up in the bay area um played like kind of regular stick and ball sports for the most part when I was a kid. So played base, played baseball through, through high school, played basketball and soccer and all that kind of stuff when I was younger. So really didn't, I didn't really like sort of formally start racing until I start racing go-karts in an organized sense until I was 13, 14, which as you guys know, is, is kind of late in the game, certainly by, by our standards today. But um, had just been, you know, I guess I say that when I say that, I also look back and think like, if you had walked into my room as a third or fourth grader or something, you would have found hundreds of Hot Wheels cars and no baseball cards anywhere. So mm-hmm. racing was always just what I was into. Um, I went to the vintage races with my dad. So he had a 68 Camaro that was, a, that had been a race car from when it was new, a road racing car. So it raced in like the Trans Am group, um, from that era, which is, still to this day, like a really special and, and kind of awesome period of motorsports that that category within that period, you know, kind of all the heavy hitters really where, you know, Penske racing was a big part of, you know, they got, they really kind of got the ball rolling. Uh, Roger did for his organization during that time, but in that championship with Mark Donahue. So I think that what a lot of what's shaped, you know, I, we went, we went to kart races. we, saw nascar i was a big dale earnhardt fan um you know we went and saw the drag races we whatever whatever was going to either sears point or laguna seca we were there but i think even even today a lot of what i still draw from in terms of where my passion for things within the sport are 
uh, come from being around around the vintage races because you just saw so much history and and so much of the evolution of the sport in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. You know, my dad kind of had the Trans Am thing going on, but you see vintage F1 cars, old Indy car stuff oh, wow. from you know all the way yeah. back to the 20s and 30s to the 60s and 70s. It's almost and like then, an action you know, museum, almost. Yeah, like, it's it's yeah, enough. it's like a live yeah. live museum, and and at that time it was pretty free and loose like you know none of the cars were super you know i mean this is not that long ago right like, like 20 25 years ago but yeah. you know you see all these cars now are worth like millions of dollars and right. you, know, you don't want to wreck them and everybody's kind of more yeah. of a parade you know back then they just they didn't care wow. um i mean i'll never forget this is like burned into my memory from i don't know when it was i was certainly before 2000 like i was still definitely a kid that parnelli jones came came out to Monterey to Laguna and drove his like championship winning Bud Moore 1970 Mustang in this like in the Trans Am group in the vintage Trans Am group and he just absolutely like destroyed everybody like just totally awesome. buried this entire field and it was one of those things that every once in a while you just see a driver doing something in this case in a vintage race, not like, you know, in any kind of professional sense, Parnelli was in his, I don't know, sixties or something. Um, but you just like see the way the car moves and you see, you hear the sound and you, it's all of these, you can just kind of tell somebody's doing something remarkable behind the wheel. Um, and so I think that's, that's always stuck with me. That's always, that was a big part of my, upbringing in the sport and then you know got into racing go-karts and kind of followed some version of like what the ladder is today still f2000 and and indy lights and all that okay. but um that's where i got going so was indycar like how early was indycar kind of like the i guess the pinnacle for you or like the thing that you were looking at for the future like that's that's where you want to be one day was that always the thing yeah i mean it's a good question. I mean, I think maybe a little bit more obvious these days, but at that time it was sort of complicated because right. Champ Car and IndyCar were both separate. Yeah. You know, while right. I was making a lot of those decisions, all the road racing was under Champ Car really at the time. So for those of us that were like coming out of go-karts, going to F2000 or Formula BMW or any of those things, Atlantics was where you wanted to be as far as that like real important kind of you know, last step before you get to the pros. And so that naturally made champ car seem like the obvious place to try to get to. Um, you know, I, along with Hinch and a number of other guys, we were all kind of coming up along, along that ladder at the same time. Um, we had some like tough decisions to make 2006, 2007, 2008, like as that was all starting to go down, like, you know, what point do you switch from Atlantic's to, indie lights or whatever but um i guess in a general sense open wheel definitely was my mm -hmm. target from the beginning it just it seemed like the obvious thing to do yeah. you know it seemed like the thing that if you you get as far up that ladder as you can and i think this is still true today you get as far up that ladder as you can and if at some point you stall out you can for whatever for whatever reason funding or whatever you can kind of spin off of that in some different directions um you know f1 always was always interesting. I had some brief 
sort of chances to race in Europe and did a little bit of racing like in the off seasons in the UK and some other things like that. But um, just never, I guess for me, uh, it never really, or I guess I would put it this way that I think I was aware from a pretty young age that it was going to take a lot to be able to do that. And it was going to take like an enormous commitment. Um, And I was still like, I don't know, going to school and playing baseball and had kind of a normal, regular, regular life going on. So, uh, you know, IndyCar, Champ Car, whatever it was going to end up being, basically like open wheel in the U.S. seemed Mm -hmm. like a like an awesome place to be. So that's where I that's where I tried to head. Awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, Regarding your most infamous moment, we're just going to get it out of the way now. The 2011 Indianapolis 500. Um, you almost won that race. And something we were curious about is how did that impact you? And then, like, did that, how did that impact your mental health? Yeah. Knowing what happens later that year with Dan Wilburn and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, that's a great question. Yeah. I'm curious about it because I'm, I like play, anytime I play anything competitive, whether it's a sport or like gaming or anything mental health is like my biggest focus of it so initially when i'm trying to think of something um or regarding that event i just wonder is there anything even today still with your mental health that is still kind of lingering from that that moment you know it's all i think with these things it's always uh i don't i think i hopefully have like kind of the humility to know that you don't always know how things are like affecting your mental health. So it'd be hard for me to say like, you know, undeniably that there's nothing about it that still, that still affects me or something. But I I guess the process that I went through with it was, um, you know, at the time, I guess the, the good thing about sports from that perspective is, you know, it is sort of black and white and, you do it just happens like there's a there's a green flag and there's a checkered flag and and there's there's not really like anything in between really you know so things happen how they happen and it goes on record and and that's what it is and that i think it was actually a good thing for me long term to have to just like deal with it right away you know it's not something that like happens and then nobody finds out about it for 10 years or something and you're like holding on to this thing um so it's sort of trauma that you know, you, you're just immediately faced with like, you're answering a question, you know, whatever, 10 minutes after you get out of the race car about what happened right. and, and how that all worked. And I guess I, I look back with, uh, an incredible degree of, um, I guess, thankfulness that, that as a 20, I don't know, I was 23 or something, I guess, like that I, sort of handled it as well as I did like I don't know that I'd handle it a lot better now frankly like the fact that I was a young guy and it was kind of my first go around I didn't have a lot of built up expectation of like what the Indy 500 really meant to me at that point yet or you know it's a big deal you know you're on a big stage you know all those things but I was still at the very beginning of my career Um, so I felt I think regardless of that happening I I, it wasn't like it was the end of the world because I knew I'm going to have an, I just, you just kind of know in the back of your mind, like I'm going to have a bunch of other shots at this. Like this is not the only time this is ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, like imagine through. that happens. So I guess, sorry, 
you I was no, I guess so. I was just gonna say there are some of those things that probably lessened the blow for me in mm. in the moment, like at that when it actually happened. Um, and that I guess the other part of it is, you know, really the 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 other side of that. You know, when you're thinking about sports and these things being kind of high profile, and you just being, you know, on the you know, on the receiving end of a lot of criticism or, or attention, let's say just whatever, whatever it is, good or bad, there's a lot of attention right away. Um, is that, you know, you kind of, you don't have a lot of time to process it. And like, I didn't have a lot of time to really process what had even happened. You know, like I, I knew, I knew what had happened from my perspective and, but you're kind of, uh, inundated with the outside view of what's going on, which is, which is, which is the simplest view of it, sort of. Which is you were leading the race with one corner to go, and you crashed and didn't win, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And so it took me. I guess it did. It didn't take me that long to at least kind of. At, le- at least sort of recognize for myself that that's not my version of it. Like that's not the, it, it was more complicated than that. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a, you know, the on track situation was something that in some respects, like happened to 10 other guys, that race that crashed in right. turn four while cars were coming out of the pits or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you're kind of interacting with a car that's going particularly slow and, and hasn't happened in some respects, like hasn't happened in that particular situation where there's a bunch of cars running out of gas, like at the end of the race, uh, you know, certainly like on the last lap like that since. Um, so I, I, I don't know what the timeline for me was for kind of allowing myself to dig back into that a little bit, but that helped for me to find a little bit of peace of mind. The thing that the thing that took a lot longer to kind of come to grips with is is like then how to how I let that affect what my approach to going back to the Indy 500 was. Yeah, that's a really good I was just going to um, ask that. Yeah. Because it sort of made it put me in a spot where I felt like okay, now I'm going back for like redemption, like to right this wrong or something or to, right. to prove not it's pr- prove anything in particular, but, but like, and I, and it was sort of like, yeah, there's, there's some external pressure there. Um, certainly being like in the national guard car as young American guy and all that stuff. And, you know, within two, two years later, that whole thing had like gone to shit. So that's like its yeah. own, part of the story you know three years after that i'm you know or or two and a half years later i've gone from you know kind of seeming to be like the young american guy that's you know the next the next best thing or whatever to like now i'm out of a full-time ride and i don't really know what any of this means for the rest of my career um Mm -hmm. you know i i was I've obviously been fortunate now to do the last whatever 12 Indy 500s in a row um, with varying degrees of kind of knowing or not, like I mentioned earlier, that like I'm going to be in the race or that I'm getting that opportunity 
or not, but I guess what I'm what I'm sort of circling around to here is, um, you know, I, it took me a while to kind of let go of the feeling that I had something to prove. Um, basically because I realized that that was just not a healthy way for me to, it more so than anything more so necessarily than, and I think it's probably things like this are probably like this for athletes. Like I'd like to say it was because I became like enlightened and just in real, I realized that, uh, that just wasn't a healthy, um, mental attitude for me to have on like a day to day basis. I think really what happened for me was I just realized that that was not the most effective way for me to show up and give my best effort right. to to try to show up and like do as best as do as well as I could, you know. And so I kind of realized that like I had to let go of having winning the race be like the reason I was coming back to do it. I had to let go of the idea that I had to like accept the fact that I might not ever win an Indy 500. Like I came so close the first time around, you sort of it's that that can sort of make you feel like, oh, I'm going to have a I'm going to be I'm going to be just like a front runner at this thing with a right. bunch of other shots at it, you know, like if it was that if it was that, you know, quote unquote like easy to be in that situation the first time around. There was a I know way more about what it takes to win an Indy 500 now than I did in my rookie year. I was just like sitting there driving the car like waiting for the race to waiting to get to the end of the race basically um that uh you know that's taken some time and and i think it it even was you know i mean a probably an actual a, a bigger part of my like mental journey um you know on, on the podcast that i co-host for the for the race you know we talked about this actually a lot in with with sort of respect to willpower and him doing some like really significantly different things from his mental, like a mental oh. approach point of view this past year. Um, it was sort of, uh, I guess when I, the last time I was racing full time with ECR, when I came out of that, that was another moment for me that was like, okay, I've, I've like climbed this, I've climbed all the way back up the mountaintop here to get back to a point where I'm racing for a good team full time, you know, after everything that went mm -hmm. down at Panther and, you know, after that whole thing, which which had a lot of baggage with it because of the 2011 500 thing, um, you know, race race for Ed. We were great on the ovals. We were lousy everywhere else. Um, they didn't pick up my option at the end of that year. That was actually a much bigger blow for me. Like, wow. okay, That's now really what? Nice. Like, what the hell am I doing? Weren't, like, why am I doing the... this? You know, weren't you the person after Joseph Newgarden? At yeah, Carpenter? so I that I was probably of, very hard to go after, too. It was hard to go after him. His engineers left like yeah. there was oh, wow. there was nobody there. Like it was uh, I guess from my perspective, it was it was like an uh, unreasonable ask to kind of fill those shoes. Yeah. Um, Joseph and I are friends like we've. I, t I tested with every time I ever tested alongside Joseph at ECR that previous year, anywhere we went, I was like within a 10th, you know, like it was kind of one of those things that it made me really want to get in there and be a part of that program. And then you get in it and 
the situation had kind of changed by the time I was actually there. It was like a rebuilding year for the team. Um, you know, I've obviously got Ed as my teammate on the road courses, but Spencer Pickett on the, on, or sorry, Ed on the ovals, Spencer Pickett on the road courses who he was on his own learning curve with the whole thing. So we were trying to like figure stuff out together. Neither of us had been in the car, you know, over the last couple of years with the aero kit development, all that stuff. So it was kind of like, we're figuring stuff out along the way. Setups were not what either of us felt like we needed. And we were, right. we were getting asked to do a lot. And I just was like, I was like hating life by the end of the whole thing. Like it was just, oh, man, I was like a miserable person to be around, I think, oh. because it was just so we, when we were good, we were good. But even in those moments, like we, at, at Iowa that year, uh, this is like a therapy session for me. So yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's an guys. interesting, it's an interesting um, look into your perspective on everything. You know, sure. at, at Iowa that year in, uh, in 2017, you know, I had tested for, I had, I sort of like helped build the setup that Joseph went and buried oh, everybody. No, with oh, no. <laughs> and so, which, whichever, which was fine. Like he knew that I knew that we were, we were, we were boys. Like there was no, it was a great, like that previous year yeah. in 2016, it was actually a great example of because we knew each other and we knew what the situation was like, I don't think he felt at risk, you know, he, cause he got hurt at Texas that year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for a yeah. bunch of events after that, like I was kind of on standby and, and whenever there were test days, like I filled in for all the test days. And so, um, but I don't think, you know, he didn't, he knew that he was not, I think he probably knew at that point that he was on to bigger and better things at that stage. Um, but he wasn't like at risk of me stealing his ride or any of these other kinds of, you know, more, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of ego that gets built into those sorts of situations. A lot of the time that yeah. did not exist between the two of us doing that. So we could actually, even though I was kind of from the outside, you know, we could work together. He was at some of the test days. Like we figured the whole thing out anyway, the, to sort of, sort of skip ahead, we show back up to Iowa the next year. Chevy's are good on the short ovals. Like we're thinking, all right, this is kind of our, this is our first, you know, it was after Indy. So we sort of knew how that had played out. Um, you know, this is like going to be an, a great opportunity for us to go stick two cars on the podium, potentially, you know, stick cars in the front row, go win a race. You know, I had podiumed at Phoenix earlier in the year um, and went out there end of end of the first practice session because it's like you know practice then qualifying then second practice then race so end of the first practice session we're doing a qualifying sim cars too low bottoms through turn one uh backed into the wall 130 g's like i'm in the medical center we're told like i'm thinking like there is no way they're gonna clear me to get back in the car they i managed to like pass the concussion protocol as it was it was just like the they didn't have the impact test they didn't have any of that stuff there so i just like passed the super like easy concussion protocol that they had in the infield care center went back out stuck the car on the outside pole um wow you know we're <laughs> running the race we led a bunch of laps it just didn't like the the way the race kind of played out we just i couldn't get around some guys that were lap cars we were on older tires and everybody in the race elio got by with you know 20 to go or whatever he goes on wins the race coming second and it's kind of one of those things that like okay like we should all be 
really hyped that we just finished second today. But even in those moments, because there was so much riding for the team on these handful of situations that we knew we'd be good. Like there was no high fives. There was no excitement. There was, you know, it was like everybody was oh, bummed man. that we didn't win. Wow. And so yeah. that for me, and then going to the road courses and just getting our asses kicked everywhere was like, I'm not enjoying this at all. Basically. Mm. Like there's, this seems like this should be an amazing thing to be doing. Like I get to drive race cars for a living, but like, I'd 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 rather be like going to school or something right now. Wow. Like this is this is just so totally Man. not like cutting it for me. Um and so at the and and it was because I was just you get kind of sucked into um connecting your enjoyment in being a part of it with how well you're doing. Oh like my your god, performance. yeah. I relate to that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and and I think for me it took like that was that was my like rock bottom kind of in as far as my mental, you know, just outlook as a race car driver. Um, and and that actually that being there and being miserable and seeing kind of how that affected like my wife and being around my friends and like all of this stuff. Um, and, and obviously my own performance, like I could tell by the end, just like being able to make little changes in the car was like doing brain surgery. Like mm -hmm. it just, it got to a point that it was not coming naturally. And, uh, and so I like, I went out and got, I, I not, not like a, not, not necessarily in like the traditional sense, but, um, I went out and sought like some counsel on, you know, how do you like, what, what's going on here? Like, this is not, this, this isn't how I should feel about this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, that over the last, you know, five years has been, you know, something that I've worked a lot on, like trying to understand, like, what is it about this that I actually really enjoy doing? And, and ultimately what I, what I do really enjoy about driving a race car is the feeling that you have when everything it, it for you, what, regardless of the car, like when you're kind of mental and and physical state are aligned driving the race car like, like there's the just zone. nothing yeah. yeah you could be you could be driving yeah. around in 30th if you can if you got that feeling like there's nothing better um and so i kind of had had the i had had the experience from 2011 like recognizing that i needed to not you know, you know all of these things that you always that you kind of know and that you hear people talk about you need to not be focused on the results and blah 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 but um, it took going to like a, a way different level of that, um, to right. actually, to actually like start to enjoy it again and, and to understand what that meant for me. And, you know, I've now had, I'd say my last three Indy 500s, you know, I've been racing for teams that aren't, aren't bringing the firepower that Penske or Ganassi or whatever is or, or whatever. But I just know for me, those qualifying performances to, all the AJ Foyt racing car up into the top, you know, 20 and to be knocking on the door of the top 10, having all kinds of shit go wrong all day and, you know, whatever, just, you know, strategy not playing out or whatever. Um, you know, I've gotten out of the car after every one of those 500s still feeling energized because I just, I know what I did and I now, you know, my, 
emotion about what's going on is connected to that, not not where we ended up. That's, you know, so, that's really great. Right. It's been a long journey, that's but awesome. but but it's a huge part of what we do, and it and is. you see, yeah. I, I brought up willpower earlier, like he's not been willing to like just sit down and explain what his exact kind of tweak has been over the last, you know, 18 months, but you just saw a completely different person from 2021 to 2022, you know, the way he, how he, how he responded to interviews, the way he drove the car, the way he was with his team, all these things. And uh, it can be a really powerful, a really powerful thing. Yeah, it was. I haven't, (laughs) It yeah, was. obviously. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gotten around to watching it, but Will Power did do like an interview talking all about mental health recently. I've been meaning to check that out. Um, that was a really good conversation. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and to kind of follow up on that, I wanted to ask, like, he kind of alluded to it, like, what is it like to drive an Indy car? And like having that focus, you kind of alluded to it a bit. Uh, we asked this question to Travis Shoemake, who is a NHRA racer. And that was one of the most interesting answers we've ever had. I'm really just interested from an IndyCar perspective, because you guys are at Indianapolis specifically, you're going like 220, 230. And that's, I don't know how you do that. Like, that's and crazy. The, like at it, home, at home, it's fun to watch. But it's just like, how do you do that for that long? And then also contrast it to like, you know, racing on the wet on like the streets of yeah, Detroit yeah. or something right mm-hmm. like they're so different but they're both I imagine I take it away like what is it like yeah I mean I think that you know there's there's two parts of it like what's the what's the physical sensation of driving yeah. the car and and that that's something that's very different car to car situation to situation right like I think the physical the physicality of driving an IndyCar car I'm sure is totally different, maybe just maybe extreme in at the same level or something, but different than uh, an NHRA top fuel guy or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, I, I, I sort of mentioned it earlier, but like ultimately the thing that like the place that you go to when it's all right is very similar across athletes of all kinds, you know, and, and it's, it is kind of the thing that, there is just something, uh, there's some you know, balance of chemicals in your brain that like keep you coming back for more when you get to that zone, when you get to that place where you're just, your, your mind is totally silent and you have complete trust and faith in your, you know, kind of subconscious ability to make the right little tiny, you know, movements and corrections. And, um, everybody explains that part of it, I think in the same way, which is, feeling of everything just slowing down i mean you talk about qualifying at the speedway you know as being this thing yeah we're out there you know we we i got i got a chance to interview scott dixon like kind of immediately after his poll run this past year and we were sitting there talking about it like which was a weird thing to do um but that it was awesome because we were sort of sitting there like yeah you know it would it really wouldn't once you get up over 229 230 the, the difference in the feeling when the car is good, the difference in the feeling between 230 and like 233 is not that much. Like we were kind of, you know, daring to imagine what it would be like to run 237, 238, 239, like those speeds that we obviously get used to just Ari really having a chance to to go explore. But um, 
there's an element of, I mean, qual like qualifying at the speedway for me is just one of those. It's like that all by itself. Like I'd, I'd take a ride at Indy just to go do that. Like even if it's in a shit box, because it's just such a unique, like human experience to be able to get to go participate in. Like you're, you're going to go out there and no matter, no matter how much data is crunched, no matter how many engineers you have working on it, there is some degree of uncertainty that you are going to face. Like you can, you just cannot know. You might be able to know that you definitely have like too much downforce before going out there. But if you're going to try to see, see how fast the car can go, it's going to be, uns you're not going to know. It's going to, there's going to be, it's going to be an unknown for you as the driver going out there that for sure it's going to stick for, all four corners, all four laps. But at the same time, um, you have to get the most. You have to. You have to get to the line, right? You might yeah. cross it, but you have to get to the line because that's your. Yeah, goal. you have to get there, and uh, and so, you know, you can. And I, you know, this is part of kind of the experience that you gain doing this. But I guess I've been fortunate to have more good experiences than bad doing that, and and been in a lot of good cars over the years to kind of know what the difference is. And, and to really know that to get, it, it's such a, it, it's like a, I feel like, you know, you see a lot of pictures from, of qualifying at Indy that are sort of like looking, looking at the car that's leaving pit lane with all of the other cars and all the teams and fans. And, you know, it's, it looks crazy, like down on the pit lane, like there's all of this stuff yeah. going on and, and the pressure must be like insanely high, but when you're in the race car, you're looking out on the track and there's nobody there. And you go out and you get to go drive down. The first thing you do is go drive in the back straight. There's no grandstands. There's no nothing. Like It's just you and the car and the track. And you can, like, a thing that, that I thankfully have learned to do over the years is you got to just kind of lean into the fact that you can't control everything that's going on. Like I remember a few years ago when I was at Dreyer and Reinbold, somehow the way the conditions had played out during the day or something were such that like the track was getting faster and we had made our first run like in the middle of the heat of the day. So we, we thought we were kind of safe, but ended up, you know, kind of trundling down the order towards the end of the day. It was the year that Fernando was ended up getting bumped. So whatever oh, year that was. Um, and we were like, kind of just on the verge of we were going to fall into the bottom three that were in the race but that then you then you were basically out for that day on saturday like you were going to have to come back the next day and rerun so we pulled the car put it in the fast lane went up to the front of the line we were going to be like the second last car to go out sage who was my teammate went out ahead of me didn't complete the run you know, so you're so like all the information you're getting is like, all right, teammate just went out, couldn't even finish two laps. Like, we got to stick a number on the board right now. Um, and I remember going out and going down the back straight and just kind of like thinking to myself, because you're in these like low, slow maps, so you're kind of just cruising along in like third gear on the way out. Like, you got it, you do have a moment, yeah, you're probably going 180 or something, but you have a moment to like yeah. think about it. And uh, I was just like, all right, like, I like, I said a little, you know, I'm, I'm not like a religious person, but I said a little like, uh, <laughs> you know, prayer of sorts to the racetrack, like, just, 
um, it's just you and me, like, give me whatever you got, you know? And, uh, and as a way of kind of just like, you got to just let it all go. Like you can't, you can't plan it out. You can't the, in, in that moment, you're going to be going so fast and things are happening so quickly that your best bet is just to rely on your instincts to like make the right shift to make to downshift at the right time to hear the tones to just be as in the moment and as aware of all the little things that are happening aware of those things as you can be as they're happening you know like the more you try to plan ahead the more you try to think about what's going to happen next the more you get behind in the little things that you're doing right then and so um it's actually like going out there and having that time alone on the track you the car the track like it's just that yeah um it's it's like the most liberating two minutes of my life out of the year you know um oh, interesting and so, yeah and it's uh and so it's just an awesome thing to do and and i think the indie car being as fast as it is now being kind of like you know maybe not maybe not in the best possible way but it's like kind of hard to drive now like it's not a perfect race car that's you know it's got a lot of you know with aero screen and and all the stuff since 2012 like it's got a lot of sort of band-aided you know things piled on top of each other that that make you know make it heavy that make it so it doesn't handle great hasn't it doesn't handle exactly how you want it to all the time and all those things um it is a challenge to extract the most out of it and and it's kind of like it's a challenge to figure out how to get the absolute most out of it as a group. But then once you're out there, like you said, Alex, like it's your job or or Zach, like it's your job just to get whatever is available in that moment that day. Like at that point, it's just you and it's up to you. Yeah. Like nobody's you, you can't. There's no point in blaming an engineer at yeah, that point for it not being perfect. Going back to the mental health kind of part of the conversation, if you if you're focusing on what you cannot control, then your own performance is going to suffer, and then you're not doing your mm -hmm. job. Yeah, you got it. I mean, like it's kind of it's one of those things that it's like you can you can choose to have a view of it, which is like I'm going to take responsibility for this because it's all on me at this point. I think a, 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 the same the same thing, but but framed a different way is I've got a chance now to put the put my absolute best foot forward to like go overachieve in this situation by doing everything that is within my power to get the most out of this moment. Right. Um, and that even the difference between those two things is like kind of significant from a athletic performance perspective um so that's i i guess i i feel extraordinarily fortunate to like have landed in the place where i i at least for myself kind of understand that and uh, and can look forward to those high pressure moments because of it right yeah um in relating to uh being like on the track when you like add other competitors out there something i'm curious about i don't know if it changes anything or not but when you race around drivers let's say you're not used to racing around such as for example kyle larson's going to run the indy 500 next year and kurt bush in 2014 i'm really curious as a driver do you like 
have to like study how these drivers race to like know how they're going to be on track or or like the rookies even like do you like go back and watch indie lights footage or anything like that like how does that work for you yeah i think there indie is such a unique place that we don't really you know i guess it's we're fortunate that you get so much time in practice basically yeah. and and we all we all kind of complain about not getting enough practice yeah. still but um but nonetheless like compared to any of the other events you get a lot of time around guys and so you'll just you know you kind of like i think about jimmy johnson this past year hmm. was maybe a more obvious example right of, uh, of late True. Uh, yeah. but but throw in roman grosjean and uh you know callum and you know there's other rookie there was other rookies at the speedway this past year that you don't really know where any of these guys are come from with roman you had a you had a look at maybe how he was going to kind of race based on gateway from the year before. Um, we raced against everybody at Texas. Texas is just kind of a different animal than the speedway. So, you know, those, I didn't put a lot of stock into, into that necessarily. Um, maybe to more directly answer your question, you know, I don't, and I don't think anybody frankly, like does a lot of external research into what these guys are like or how they've driven other stuff. You know how they've driven. You know NASCAR. You kind of you're maybe you're you're sort of aware of maybe their tendencies coming from a different you know discipline. But mm. you know Kyle coming and doing this, I think he'll fall into sort of the same group as um, you know Fernando Alonso when he came over. Roma, you know mm. Jimmy, the guys that I mentioned. That you're kind of just getting a feel for it over the course of driving around them in big groups in practice. You know, are they guys that are going? that get some momentum and take it forward? Or are they guys that are kind of like on their way back through the pack? You know, do they seem like they're getting hung out to dry in certain places on the track? Do they, you know, I think as, as veterans or as guys that have a lot of experience there, you know, the car hasn't changed that dramatically over the last decade. The you know, so, so the, the way the race changes and, and kind of the way that the, that you're driving, changes year to year isn't that intense like you're not it's not you're never like just throwing the book out the window and starting from scratch you're it's kind of an evolution for a lot of us of like okay we kind of know that these are the things that work and it's just a matter of can you get the car to do those things and you know all like that and so um you spend a lot of time just kind of you know i have my own set of like priorities basically in terms of what i think matter a lot to run in traffic it to be good in traffic at indy you know i kind of know right. like you have to you have to be able to put the car in this place you have to from a defensive perspective you have to not let these handful of things happen you know you got to like not find yourself foot and a half off the apex at turn two or less or you're just going to get freight trained by a bunch of cars like and so right. you sort of pay attention to you know does it seem like the new guys understand those things or not. And then you, you know, you always just have to be on the lookout for maybe, maybe they don't understand those. They don't know what they don't know. And so they do things a little differently and maybe that's working for them somehow. So, hmm. um, you know, with Kyle, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing. He's sort of the youngest guy to come and do this from another discipline. Like he's, he's in the prime of his, you know, is it fair to say he's like his NASCAR career? He's just his racing career, yeah. right? Because he does so much other I would stuff. Say so. Um, yeah. 
because I think he's like 30, right? Um, I think so. I, he's in that, whatever, he's, he's still a young guy. Yeah. And, and the fact that, I mean, what he brings to the table beyond that, even more so than like Jimmy did coming and doing this, is he just drives like, Everything. so frequently and so much that yeah. you and he does he doesn't like wreck you know, race racing you know i feel like he's racing five dirt tracks a week he's not he's not out there wrecking cars right and left like he knows what he's doing i think he'll be able to kind of ascend the learning curve at indy as fast or faster than than anybody basically and mm. so um I think his He's lack so of for it. his his lack of open wheel experience, as we think about it, I think is not mm -hmm. a huge deal. Like if you if you gave me if you gave me odds on first um, Larson or Verstappen, to, like who would come over and do a better job at Indy? I'm taking <laughs> Kyle Larson all day. <laughs> I agree. Just because he's his like his the number of different things that he's already shown like enormous proficiency in is just like there's there isn't another driver in the modern era that like stacks up so i don't know how he'll do like it's going to be the first year of the hybrid thing like who knows how that affects the race True. um you might know how level, race gear the car is going to be i don't know like Where's Honda and Chevy at? Where's McLaren at? Where, whatever. There's there's like a there's a bunch of things that affect really like what his chances are going to be. But um, I, you know, I I I definitely he's not going to struggle. I don't think that's for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. Because Kurt Busch finished sixth, I think, when he did it. Yeah, and I think Larson could do way better than that. Yeah, I think that the best. Because I thought, Kurt, yeah, maybe you're right. I thought, maybe, I thought Kurt was a little, but yeah, you might be right. Maybe he was six. Yeah. Um, the best, because uh, we were just talking about this earlier today. I think the best anybody's done in both, like the uh, for doing the double, is I think I think Tony yeah. finished like fifth in the five hundred and sixth at Charlotte. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. And Definitely. I kind of and I sort of sit there and go like, all right, at least in terms of average finish, I think Larson could. It, I don't, you know, it might be, might be because I, I kind of feel like he's got a, he's got a genuine shot, a totally legit shot to win the 600. Right. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like that gives him a little wiggle room on the average, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. Mm -hmm. Oh, me yeah, too. Me too. And um, as we kind of approach the break, um, we talked about an infamous moment of your career, but what's like something about your career that's been kind of, something that you remember as your favorite so far, whether that's an IndyCar mm. or outside of IndyCar, um, on track, off track? Man, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I like there's pro I probably have like a little bit of recency bias. Um, I definitely, it, it has definitely been, I, you know, I, I don't know that this is necessarily like my favorite thing or my favorite moment, but I do have to say like racing for AJ has been pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of that's just because there's a, there's an element of like the history of the sport that kind of makes the, th makes the whole thing feel like it matters, you know, like that yeah. there we're doing something that other people have, you know, done and it's been respected for a long time. So I think that, that definitely you know, wasn't lost on me. I guess more generally, 
I think the the thing that's probably excited me the most um, during my career was going and doing the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Mm. Um, basically, just because for me that w- was a totally last minute thing. Like I had no prep for it. Base, I was filling in for. I don't know. Some they never told me what the deal was, but I basically got a phone call. Like Uh-oh. there was an IndyCar race <laughs> and a NASCAR race and an IMSA race, like all that weekend that were all conflicts for the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. And there was supposed to be some like factory Porsche guy that was supposed to do it. And it was, there was like a TV show and there's all this stuff. And so I got a phone call like the week before the race, like, Hey, um, are you in Colorado and are you free? Like, um, and so I guess for me, that was just, you know, a little bit of a riff on our chat about Kyle. Like, it's just so different than I'd never driven the car before. never been on course there. It's a totally wild, like, challenge, um, you know, to to go do that and, like, just experience something completely different on the spectrum of motorsports. Um it was the it was kind of one of those things that made me I've I've had this happen a few times over the course of my career, but made me think like, why did I not do this like ten years ago? <laughs> um, like we have such yeah. a you you kind we've come up a lot of us guys we talk about it you know kind of behind the scenes, but a lot of us have come up in this era, you know, post IndyCar Champ Car like you know getting back together, but you know, Dario and Paul Tracy and, and even Scott, you know, like those guys, Scott was super young, obviously when he started racing, but Oriel Serviet, you know, these guys were all kind of on the back end of like the big tobacco money. The, the, the racing was, you know, they were all making a ton of money. Like they were, they were kind of like these legendary guys, um, cart, IndyCar, whatever, wherever they were at was like a huge deal. Um, you know the more i guess the the recent heyday of of open wheel racing and nascar and everything like through the 90s any of those guys like yeah they went and drove a bunch of different stuff because they could just do whatever the hell they wanted to do you know and that's how racing yeah. kind of worked um for us it was like you got to be hyper specialized like the the advice that we all got coming up was you got to be hyper specialized just to have a chance to like you could be the best guy and it's like right now the economy of the sport and all of that stuff just doesn't matter. So you gotta, you gotta be like low risk, super specialized. Don't go screw around doing other stuff. If it's not like helping you get to IndyCar, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think ultimately whether we misinterpreted that advice to being like, just don't go drive anything other than open wheel. Um, or, and like, maybe that's not what people were really trying to say or, or it was just bad advice. Um, but I think for me, like getting a chance to go do more different stuff has really excel, really accelerated my process of like reconnecting with why motorsports is awesome. It's fun. Like that's uh, fun. Like I think it's just exactly whether that's good advice i think depends on your goal if you're jimmy johnson and you're trying to have fun right now then that's horrible advice right but if you are trying to become an indycar champion right then it's maybe good advice right so i think it just depends on what you're trying to do with your career yeah i think that's i think that's fair but i think on the whole it's something that we 
have put a lot just overall we've put way too much emphasis on over the last couple of generations of kind of like now finally you're seeing guys you're seeing nascar guys come over and do the the 500 you're seeing Mm -hmm. a bunch of indycar guys ending up at daytona for the 24 hour you're and it's like okay yeah like this is actually this is the more primal version of like why we're doing this is yeah. because if you get these opportunities yeah just go drive stuff like we're race car drivers we're not yes we're indie car drivers but like at the end of the day we're just race car drivers like all you know a, a this versus a that is not that different in terms yeah. of like the skill set required here and and guess what like it makes the challenge of doing this even more fun when you do get in something and you suck at it at first. Mm-hmm. So um, I think having that, you know, I've driven out, I've like done land speed racing out on the Bonneville salt flats. I've done the 24 hour. I've like dabbled in a bunch of stuff since then, basically for this reason, which is just like, Oh, this is actually like, this is what makes this so cool. So there you have it. Love that. So one more question before I go to our break. Um, this is a spicy one. Uh, IndyCar and their marketing and social media presence is a hot topic on this podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, it it's just funny because it doesn't really exist sometimes. But um, I'm curious what your opinion is on that, especially as a driver. And there was that report that like a bunch of drivers went to IndyCar and apparently didn't go well with the higher ups and they're changing people at the top and they have the documentary series just in general like what do you think of indycar's marketing and their social media like what should they do in your opinion or what do you think of it loaded yeah, question i mean I'll, <laughs> yeah loaded i'll uh i'll preface by saying i'm not i'm not i don't concern myself with getting fired for answering questions like this truthfully anymore so um <laughs> i think that you know basically what it, what a lot of it boils down to is like, is there budget to go do things or not? Like, I think we've we've gone through, and this is a little sure. bit like, uh, you know, pulling the curtain back. But like, we've gone through a lot of, in my tenure in IndyCar, which has started in like Randy Bernard kind of era, you know, through yeah. this changeover. You know, there's been a few different CMOs. There's been different folks in you know in control of, or uh, you know, in charge of marketing for IndyCar. Like, I have a lot of respect for a lot of those people. So I'm not like I am yeah. not on the on the side of this. That's like, you know, C.J. O'Donnell was kind of like the last the last true CMO. Um, S.J. who's recently left. You know, like when S.J. came in, a lot of the people that have have since started from within the industry like within the sport not not any but not fans not people from the outside like i don't i I, no judgment on anybody that's like you know thinks that indycar should just be doing a better job and and wants to want somebody to be held held accountable for that but like a lot of these people came from other places where they were extremely successful in a similar type of role and are instantly frustrated by what they have to work with when they once they really get mm. you know when when it comes to brass tacks at at IndyCar and so i think we have to we have to kind of i guess manage the expectations of what we think from a tactical perspective indycar indycar should be doing from a marketing perspective like 
okay uh, like what is what are yeah what's the what's the what's the video content where is that why like why are the social channels silent half the time like you know what's like what's going on here like there's a lot of things that you that you kind of as a fan of indycar as a participant in indycar that are like what the hell is going on with with this thing or that thing You're like why why is this the way that it mm -hmm. is like this seems obvious that this should be better um and kind of you know zoom out a little bit to see like well are the tools in place to do those things better and like you know like uh, what uh, what are uh, what degree of the blame lands uh, you know is deservedly landing on not having like the right plan versus like just not not uh prioritizing this thing more generally mattering a lot and needing to mm -hmm. be invested in and so i guess i think that that's a hard line to walk we've obviously we're, we've got you know i have sympathy i guess for we've gone through pandemic like nobody's been we've not been like making money hand over fist through this whole period of time it's about you know trying to survive but you know when you do see what's happening in other places there are examples of it being done extremely well by other yep. sanctioning bodies um in other parts of you know motorsport by other teams you know i mean i think that even you just look at like the job that some of the teams do and it's kind of like okay that's pretty stout in terms of their commitment is very this. impressive you know you yeah you look you look at any of the f1 teams in isolation and it's like oh this is these guys are investing they've they've got but they've got the money to spend and they can build that mm -hmm. into their budget and and they kind of understand how all those things are going so I guess to me, it's part of a little bit of a larger um, question, which is a for for another podcast probably. But like, are we satisfied with where the series is at or not? And I guess I think that I know you guys know that there's a lot about IndyCar to be really excited about. Like it's amazing. It's incredible racing. The, the, the bar of comp, you know, of competitiveness of the drivers, the teams, the mechanics, the engineers, all of that stuff. Like it's as good as it is anywhere. Like if, if that's, if that's mm -hmm. what we're, if that's, if that's enough, then, then don't change anything. But I question that personally, like, like I grew up, I grew up in the nineties watching thousand horsepower cart cars that were like squirming all over the place, all the way from the corkscrew down to the front straightaway at Laguna. Like there was an element of just, I don't know, like there was something raw and wild and kind of radical about that. And it was, it, it, it made it so that you didn't have to think about like, why it was the way it was like there was it, there was nobody that hey, you didn't have to like read a memo about like what the next engine formula was or something it was like is it going to be badass yes okay cool i'm in like there's an element of that that it, it exposes the it exposes the humanness of the sport when things are on the edge and they feel like they're really like at the limit of what's possible to do um there's all of these things that we've we've just managed we've ended up 25 years later with kind of a watered down version of of that in terms of like 
the actual product itself, which I think just makes it hard. It doesn't it doesn't make it any easier to win an IndyCar. Like it's yeah. not that at all. It's just a little it's less excessive than it used to be. And mm. and I think without that, you kind of lose like those core principles that everything else is built out around. Like, okay, so what should the content be? What should whereas if you're like, hey, look, these are the hardest cars to drive on the face of the planet, and it's totally fucking obvious. <laughs> If that's mm -hmm. if that's what it is, and it's just like Joe Blow off the street would be like, you know, would show up to Long Beach and be like, holy shit, like I cannot believe that these guys are doing this. Yeah, true. Um, right. Like, then your marketing strategy is kind of easy to plan out, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess there's just some of this stuff that it's like, all right, like this is not it's not change doesn't change very much year to year. It doesn't. And you could say you could say that about the marketing strategy, like, oh well, the marketing strategy doesn't change that much year. What? Well, IndyCar doesn't change that much year to year. Like, what? So they're supposed to like completely reinvent the sport, like out of thin air when nothing changes. Like, so there's, I guess, I just, I, I sort of say all of that to say, like, to me, there's a lot of this that goes together, and I think it's fair to be asking more of all of it, basically. Right. And I, I really liked what you said about IndyCar's product is amazing. Like, I love it. It's my favorite of all the motorsports. And you look at NASCAR as an example. They had that. Like, it was, like, the peak in, like, the early 2000s. And they changed a whole bunch of it to try and keep up. Mm -hmm. And they lost a lot of the audience. And the product got worse. So, and you're right. And it's a good point. Like, how does IndyCar keep the product but also gain something else like that's a really good point just it is frustrating and I, i'm glad the product's good at least i'd rather have good product bad social media than good social bad product which i think f1 could say they have sometimes yeah but i don't know i, think, I guess point. i think i think to to jump in on that just really quick mm -hmm. is like i guess to me i think the product like i define the product by more than like how close is the racing, right? Like, I think that's that's right. sort of a, that's a bit of a, that's unfortunately like a trap that I think a lot of motorsport has fallen into. Like if I was to, if I was to sort of critique NASCAR over that period of time that you just discussed, it's kind of like, well, it became sort of like musical chairs. Like somebody different win is winning all the time. It's not obvious like what skill is required to win some of these races. Like I think, I think fundamentally that's a huge problem for NASCAR with Daytona 500, like your biggest race. Very true. We tea. have that's no, tea. we have, <laughs> we have no idea what is required to win this race. Like you just got to make it to the end. Like you talked and, and the drivers don't even so care true. anymore. They're just like, yeah, I'm just ready to get to the next one. You know, like that is yep. not the, the mentality that you're. Week. That's insane. Yeah, this is good. like <laughs> that is not the way that you're like the race car. The guys actually driving the car that should not be their attitude. Like if that's their attitude, right, right. then you have screwed something up in oh terms of like, how this works. <laughs> and I say that because it's like, look, if and I'm biased here, obviously, because I'm a race car driver, but. If it's if the race car drivers are not thoroughly enjoying the experience of driving the car, like if they don't like look forward to getting in the car, particularly at your biggest events, then like the fans know that. 
Like yeah, there's not, it's, it's yeah, not it's like, not a secret. You you're not pulling the wool over everybody's eyes here. Yeah. And so I think that IndyCar is not anywhere near in that. Like we're not at odds like that oh, or something, sure. but, but like, you know, we've been talking about this for like 30 years. Like why do the cars have so much downforce and why do they not have a thousand horsepower? Like we, we keep Rick Mir, you know, you talk to any race car driver from any era and it's just, and then you ask them like, what would make, what would make this more interesting? They all say the exact same thing. We've been Literally. saying it forever, yes. which is like, why do the cars have so much down for us? Why does that matter? Okay. So they go faster through the corners. Who cares? Yeah. Like it just totally doesn't matter. You could build a car that could go faster than a human could possibly drive it. Like there's, if this is not about, um, innovation anymore this is like that aspect of it like the arrow part of it it's like no we've, we've gone way over the top so let's design the arrow to actually make the product be awesome instead Please. of yes like just having it be whatever and indycar's kind of done that right like they took away a bunch of downforce after the, they've done a lot of these things they've mm -hmm. made the right kind of general choices but it's like okay guys like as far as it, like, it's kind of do or die here. Like we got one more product cycle to do something interesting. Like we're going to have another chassis at some point here in three years or whatever. There's going to be new engines that are now kind of a, on a, I don't know, like undefined timeline in terms of when we get something different. Like let's, let's, let's like prioritize. We can't get a manufacturer to come in because it's a two point whatever liter turbo v6 that's hybrid so like why does that even matter like you know there's some of this stuff that's just kind of like you know we gotta we gotta like take stock of what we're really doing here like do we want this to be something that's a billion dollar business that's knocking on the door of f1 or, or are we just gonna like keep cruising around with it like it is like i'll keep showing up to go do the indy 500 if it keeps being what it is because it's awesome to go yeah do that event but but like do we really want to grow or not? You know, and we're, if we want to grow, that's like we're going to have to change a yeah. bunch of shit. Like, sorry, that's just mm -hmm. how it is. And that's what really frustrates me as a fan. It's like, I want more race fans to see the awesome racing that IndyCar has. And it just feels sometimes that there's not really a will or a want to showcase that. Like, for example, all these drivers running the Rolex 24 in a few weeks. I don't, I don't think they're going to mention that on their social media, you know, or like, I'm surprised they actually acknowledge Kyle Larson, I guess, cause it's them. I don't think they'll mention the 600 yeah. part when it comes time, but it's just, it's just frustrating. They don't want to talk about their competitors. It's just them. But when they just talk about them, they don't really say much either. I don't yeah. know. I mean, IndyCar, but, you know, I, I hold out a lot of hope because IndyCar has so many things, so many awesome things that are going for it, right? Like it's got True. awesome events. It's got, like I mentioned before, great drivers, great teams, super interesting personalities across the board. It's got a history that is like the 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 strings that it can pull on from its own history are like broader and more crazy and awesome than like everything else combined you know so um there's a lot of you know you think i don't know whatever we i'll 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 shut up now but it's just uh 
I think, I, you know, I, like a lot of people, I feel like am, am, have kind of been waiting like, okay, so when are we going to start doing some of this awesome stuff? And mm -hmm. I, I think, I think like a lot of other people, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling like we're just in a holding pattern. Like, right. Okay. Like, and so when is any I... of this actually going to happen, you know? And like the rest of the, like Formula One's gotten mm -hmm. its shit or NASCAR is getting its shit together. Like you know, we, we got to sort of like get with the program here, you know? Yeah. I just hope that IndyCar doesn't rely exclusively on the docu-series, the hundred days thing. Cause if they do that, it isn't going to change anything because you can't just do the one thing F1 did and they struck gold cause it was in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone's at home with Drive to Survive, and that was that already had a foundation before the pandemic, too. So I'm hoping this increased funding toward the marketing department that they talked about is more than that. I'm hopeful, like you are. Um, let's have to wait and see, though. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really good then, conversation. And normally, yeah. me, normally Alex and I have a segment called The T where we talk about motorsports drama, and we don't even need it today because what you said about the Daytona 500 <laughs> was, was, was plenty, plenty of tea for today. So on that note, y'all, we're going to take a break before we continue with JR Hildebrand. Um, so we'll see you guys in a little bit. All right, guys, welcome back to the Gay Racing Podcast. Zach, Alex, and J.R. Hildebrand back with you. Um, so, J.R., we want to start this half of, or this last part of the podcast. We wanted to ask you, what does being an outspoken ally of the LGBTQ community, have you noticed, has that affected, like, sponsorships in any way, or just, like, um, your public image in general? Because, obviously, it is 2023, um, and, you know, it's a lot more accepted these days, even in motorsports, which, you know, if you asked me four years ago, right, like if any race car driver would even like acknowledge it, I would have said no, but it's already a completely different world almost um, in that perspective for us. So has like, have any sponsorships been affected um, or anything else with your like kind of public image? Um, I don't know. It's I, I guess I don't really think about it that much in that context. Um, I mean, I'm super fortunate to have Salesforce has been my, you know, kind of primary, you know, personally associated sponsor for five five years or something yeah. now. Um, and they're, you know, I guess just generally very progressive and supporting of, um, you know, not only not only from a you know, company perspective in terms of employees and people that work for Salesforce and do business with Salesforce, but, you know, from a political point of view, mm -hmm. you know, do a lot of lobbying and, um, you know, are, are definitely putting in the work on that side. I mean, I often kind of wonder what more I could be, you know, how I could be more active in it. I feel it's kind of one of those things like it feels, it feels sort of, um, I don't know. Um, un, not uh, not unimportant. Unimportant is totally the wrong word. But like, you know, is it enough really just to like say something here and there when shit comes up on social media? You yeah. know. But um, yeah. I think it's yeah. I guess I don't. I certainly don't worry about it in terms of it affecting my sponsorships. There are 
it's it's not always easy to to under to know how that fits in with like the people that you're around or the sponsors that you have yeah. or or whatever so mm-hmm. i guess for me that's been a good thing about social is just look like this is just kind of where i'm coming from one way or the other like take it or leave it um you know i, I guess I'm, I'm interested from your guys perspective like what would you like to see more of hmm. in racing that's a good question actually um because i mean a few years ago when you asked me that i'm just like well you know a rainbow sticker would be cool yeah (laughs) right but then it's like you could even bring it to like almost uh i'm thinking like a weekend celebration almost like obviously during the month of june um or something where most of the sport is acknowledging it or the sport is like directly acknowledging it um Mm -hmm. with some kind of I don't know, like some kind of aesthetic, whether it's stickers or a banner <laughs> or something else cute. I don't know. Right. But something like that. Right. Or because it kind of comparing it to like NASCAR does a lot of stuff like that. Right. They have throwback weekend. They have um, their the red, white and blue weekends um, during the holidays. They have um, what else do they have? They have like every, so many. Right? So, like, what's a Pride weekend for them? You know? Like, it's just another special little weekend, right? For some more special paint schemes, right? Um, Yeah. So, just something like that, right? Um, Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think something that that I'll say that I'm I'm glad to see is that I think that I definitely think that the page has kind of turned on, you know, a lot of sponsors, a lot of the sponsors of the cars, so the companies that are involved in motorsport. You obviously saw that with DHL. It's kind of the obvious example yep, in, yes. in IndyCar. But, you know, they're, they are among, I don't think, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they're among a majority of sponsors or whatever. It's not like probably not every single sponsor on every car has, you know, that the same outlook. But I guess I do think that having it, come from the sponsor saying like we want to do this that starts to open up it like being a real conversation for a lot of other people inside the sport right because i think whether it's been as a as an excuse to not be more active in the space or or just out of fear that this that you know you're going to be at odds with your sponsor if as driver or team you start to do something um you know the kind of it's a silly way of looking at it but kind of like the money talks like if the sponsors are supportive of gay rights of gay pride of you know or whatever that those the larger lgbtq plus community like that's actually probably the best way for the sport to acknowledge that community at large and that's true and to to sort of push that conversation into happening because i think it uh, you know if i if i'm honest i think it is probably still if you were to if you were to kind of think about like um maybe let's say like racial equality or racial representation um gender Mm -hmm. equality and representation you know gay rights and representation is probably still the most of those three that's still the most um you know not not controversial like that's the wrong word but just 
the the touchiest probably of yeah. the three the one that the one that not everybody maybe like wholeheartedly you know gets behind in the same way and so i think that's that's right. kind of you know you could say that's unfortunate or whatever it's sort of just the reality of the dynamic that i'm sure you guys see as uh, as i do um mm-hmm. and so i guess i would say I would, like looking at our sport in general i think it, there's a lot of work still to be done but i think that that's that's something hopefully that we can kind of look forward to happening and becoming because you look at you look at an indycar you look at the the amount of um female involvement and kind of empowerment within the sport that's happened basically just from i i think in a lot of ways honestly from teams just recognizing like this is a performance gain for us to like see to to engage and be accepting of and actually go and 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 turn from just like a level of acceptance to like no we are going to go out and be engaged in this community ourselves because that suddenly is like a whole nother group of people that if they become interested in what we're doing we've got engineers and tire changers and you know social mm. social media managers and you know whatever like that otherwise may not have been a part of that so i think there is a i'd kind of lump that example into the sponsor kind of point of view that like there's a capitalistic view of all of this which is like when we start to turn the corner as an industry and see actually this is just this is good for our business this is good for our teams this is good for this thing that we do not just from Mm -hmm. an optics perspective but from like you know everything that's going on here to be more inclusive um you know that i feel like is really when the light switch turns on and i'm not i'm not sure whether as an industry we've completely made that we've we've hit that switch you mm. know in the gay community but i think it's it's gonna have you know like it's 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 here it's there to be it's there to be flipped on certainly you know and there's i would and there say are, there are a few members mm-hmm. with i and i won't go into any detail because i don't know how sensitive it is but you know there are some folks that you know, I've been in, in the IndyCar paddock for a number of years that, you know, we interact with on like a mm. you know daily basis. Um, and I think those are some, you know, a couple of those folks are, are people who would love to be a part of that. So I think there's, there's something there. I mean, that's kind of why I ask, like, what more would you like to see? Because I think there's, there are things that can be done and, and yeah. outreach that exists. Cause I think the last sure. thing that, the last thing that we want is for anybody to feel isolated, especially in a situation when they're not, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just a matter of like those dots not being connected. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I, w- I would say that it's, it's really accelerated the past three years. Cause when we started the podcast, like there was nothing. I mean, like, we there were was like little, hype. no representation. We were getting hype over the possibility of a pride paint scheme. Right. Um, now here we are. Yeah. One's done the Indy 500, right? I think <clears> that <throat> the stuff that NASCAR on Fox did, um, getting, like, they interviewed diverse people of in the industry, not only for Pride Month, but also Black History Month. Um, yeah. Like, the media acknowledgement's very powerful. So, yeah, Alex, as you said, it's accelerated very rapidly these past three years, kind of since the pandemic and the social issues that arose during that time. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say it's not gonna stop. Oh no, which it shouldn't. Like no. it should keep going for sure. And 
like JR, I really like what you've done on Twitter, just like speaking up when something happens, not just with LGBTQ issues, but any social issues. And Dalton Kellett's done that as well. Yeah. And I feel like that's more of what drivers should do. Like I that's why I asked about the sponsorship, because I really wonder like would more drivers say something with if there wasn't any fear of like, oh my sponsor won't like that or my boss yeah. won't like if I say that. Yeah. And I imagine that I, is a thing because a lot of these bosses are older and likely more leaning conservative. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but to answer your question, like what you and Dalton Kellett specifically have done and what Tyler Reddick and NASCAR has done to a lesser extent, and then he had to delete his post. That's also <laughs> part of that. But more of that would be nice or just like, I don't know little stickers and pride month from the series like we talked about that'd be cute but yeah I feel like that would that's like what we wanted just three years stuff, ago you know <laughs> yeah i but guess no, i we... <laughs> i do think to sort of to answer your question i i, I wasn't i wasn't certain what uh, you know kind of which way you were leaning with the sponsorship question ask i i i would agree mm -hmm. that i think that i don't know if it's necessarily the sponsors or if it's a little bit of just uh, you know, and, and I, I, this is not at all to, you know, I mean, I'm a, to grow up in the Bay Area, like I'm a pretty liberal, you know, from a political perspective, like a pretty liberal person, like whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I have not ever, you know, I have, I don't have a problem like interacting with guys that are on my race teams and stuff. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm, we're not, we're not like at, at, incredible odds or something in terms of it being like a super conservative place. But I think it does, it does to some points that you guys made a minute ago, like it does kind of lean that direction in terms of where motorsports in the United States generally have kind of come from. It's not, it's not a rule, but it's definitely, you know, I think more, more often than not, that's kind of the, the direction that things, that things lean. Um, I do think I think that it's as much that that it than it is being drivers or people within the industry being, you know, concerned with what their sponsors are going to say. You know, it's it's kind of like, all right, well, I've got a I'm around this group of people twenty four seven for a lot of the year. You know, I mean, you're you know having that kind of have, you know, keeping those relationships without with as, as little conflict as possible is kind of like that probably is the thing that keeps there at times from being a little bit like that's that's maybe the thing that I've been, you know, has kept me from saying more at times is just kind of like, right, OK, or or the fan base, even, you know, being on the wrong side of the the response chain on things like I've definitely like you say anything about any of this stuff and you got to be in like block mode you know immediately you know and it's kind of mm -hmm. like okay i guess i know that like i'm but it's it's something that keeps me from without any other attachments even probably being a little bit more vocal about it is just we're kind of just operating within a space that the majority of people you're gonna face a, a you know a, a reasonable amount of um argument from you know from from a lot of the folks that are a part of the larger like racing community you know and 
obviously, as you guys would know, the way that social media works is you might have you might have 10 people reach out to you and say how excited they were that you said this or that in a positive way. But as soon as you have two or three that really like get on you uh, in the other direction, mm-hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't quite equal out the same way. You don't take that as like 10 to three. You, you know, you end up being more affected sometimes by the by the negativity. And so, um, right. you know, those are all those are all things that I think as time goes on, I'm glad that you guys, you know, sort of recognize the fact that there has been a lot of change over the last few years, because I think that that will continue to happen for sure. And obviously the positive change is the thing to be focused on for sure. For sure. And then to kind of shift gears here, another question we got, it's kind of a fun one. Um, Fan interactions are always probably fun as a driver. I'm curious Usually. if you have a favorite fan interaction and then if you maybe have like a bad or like a weird yeah. the ones that aren't fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um a, fa- a favorite I you know it's funny I, I it's I don't have like I can't think of any there aren't any that come to the top of my mind right now that are like oh my god this one time you know like, <laughs> oh um I love you know I I always dig you know getting questions I'm I'm like a student of the sport like i love the history of the sport um you know people that come with either something not not physically come with something but like you know a a a thought or something to talk about that's Mm. uh you know like like you guys we're sitting here we've been chatting for like an hour and a half like i i like i like kind of dig i like chopping it up with people i like digging into things that that they're interested in like or that you know from listening to a podcast or reading something that i've written or whatever like they know that uh that i've that i'm passionate about i think is always something fun to talk about i love talking to people about the state of the sport you know like where are we at what are we doing you know like what what would make this more what would make this a bigger deal what would make this more awesome um, you know, the, the, the flip side to that is, uh, like I just get people asking me the stupidest versions of the, what happened in 2011, like question. Oh, no. And it's just like brain damaging to have oh, to deal with sometimes. Yeah. Like if you're going to ask me about it, ask me about it. That's fine. Like we've taught, we talk yeah. about it. Like I talk about it with other people. Like I, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me, but man, like when you're sitting in line at the at the 500 on a community day or whatever, and you're just you're there for an hour, like you're you're you don't have anywhere, there's nowhere you can go. Like can't you're escape. fair game, you're 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 locked in, <laughs> you know. Like it's just uh, it can be kind of painful to have to to have to deal with that because it's just like look like you this you've just you've just made this incontrovertibly awkward. For everybody who's here right now, like whoever the two other guys that are with me, they're both like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe that you have to, like, put up with this, you know, every time. And it's just like it's and it's it's usually not even a question. It's usually just like, hey, man, I was there in turn four. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's just like, that's okay, it, period. Like, period. What? Okay. Like, I Thanks. was too. I, I was there. <laughs> Like, what do you want? What am I even supposed to say to this? Oh like, my God. Give, me, give, me, give me your <laughs> thing. Like, let me sign. Let me do something. Oh, like, so you're just funny. standing here looking at me like I'm supposed to. Like, I owe you a response to that. Um, so, 
So that's a fun one. See, I want to be a race car that, driver. That, test, that, that definitely tests your uh, your mental uh, strength and health over the years. When I'm a race car driver, um, I won't be, but I want to. I just want to give dry responses to stuff like that because I work with kids, and when I get stupid questions, so I get them every five <laughs> seconds. I just give the most dry responses, and it's it's some of the best parts of my day because it's just yeah. entertaining on my part. That's what I need. I need to. I need to. I need to find a workaround for that for sure. Because yeah. it's gonna it's this gonna happen hard. again. No, it's not over. This is I, I more like, of a personal note yeah. from me, but oh, sorry, Zach. No, what were we gonna go, say no, girl, girl. It's so right. a personal note from me is that when you mention like you like when fans or anyone brings something to you. Something I like to do when I meet drivers is I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to say this to them, like try and make it like a memorable experience for them. Oh, yeah. So one, I referenced something Joseph tweeted one time and he like laughed like he thought it was funny. And then another time I gave him crap about Iowa two last year at Gateway. And he thought he's like, oh, you were there. I'm so sorry. I'm going to win for you. Then he won. You know, Period. me and him are besties. So he had to do that for me. What a guy. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Roman Grosjean flipped me off. That yes. was a fun time. Ooh. Because I I said, welcome to IndyCar. And then I pointed at my Joseph Newgarden shirt. Yeah, because that's what Joseph First tweeted. he laughed. And then he, put his, then he put his middle finger in front of my face. That was, that was a top 10 experience of my life. Yeah. That's a big one. So, I like that. Yeah, I like, I like doing that. So I'm glad to hear that you like that. Hopefully other guys like it too. Yeah. Alex loves harassing IndyCar drivers. Um. <laughs> don't say it like that keep it up <laughs> keep up the good work yeah, I, I, thank you I like just making it a memorable experience for both of us you know no. meanwhile I hate meeting um, drivers I just don't I never know what to say or I just don't meet them <laughs> um, <laughs> oh there was also the time Scott McLaughlin was eating a cookie and then his PR guy asked if I wanted to have a cookie that was fun that's insane nice yeah just very chill. I, I love IndyCar. Like Jesus. Yeah, I want a cookie. Yeah. Scott McLaughlin um, got to be one of my got to be one of my favorite IndyCar guys these days. Oh, I love that guy. Period. Just love that guy. He's become one yeah. of my faves. Yeah. Um, we mentioned Joseph Newgarden, and we you mentioned you have a friendship with him earlier. Um, this is more of a funny question. Uh, Joseph called you pit lane Jesus. Um, what yep. do you think of that? And how do you feel about that? Thoughts? Well, <laughs> it was originally Speedway Jesus, which I liked better. That sounds better. Um, that sounds better. Pit Lane's sounds a downgrade. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, Pit Lane Jesus, like that seems kind of that, that seems mean? like you made you made that trashy somehow. Yeah, know, it's trashy. Quite how that, yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. But I'm I'm happy to take it. Like I'll take whatever you know. I. I feel I felt like you asked like you know about uh you know do I do I have concerns about what my sponsors or like fans think about you know standing up for yeah. gay rights or something getting into being called Jesus of any kind <laughs> is this whole uh, a whole own thing that I'm like an, all right like I have there's one world here to talk there's, to. <laughs> there's yeah there's one world here where like we go make like those, you know, those like Mexican candles that have like, you know, the Virgin Mary or like Jesus or yes. something on. They're like these tall. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, there's one version of this where we're selling those at, you know, the the fan place uh -oh. with J.R. Hildebrand as Speedway Jesus oh on my them. God. <laughs> um, which is which is probably like 
really what I'd like to do, but um, we have to be we have to be conscious of our surroundings these days. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure whether or not that's going to happen. But yeah, Joseph, uh, Joseph and I have been buddies for you know sort of since we were since we raced since I started racing for the five hundred at the five hundred with ECR. So mm-hmm. well, I guess that. That's not true because that was 24. So 2015 was the first year that it was CFH or uh, that that Fisher Hartman, you know, that they were conjoined, a conjoined deal. But um, yeah, just a great dude and always have fun with him. He's my favorite. I love him. He's great. Great man. So as you can tell, we're kind of toning down we're going on a we're ending on a high note because we started kind of <laughs> low and now we're gonna end it on a really nice high so i'm in a discord group about we talk about racing and the indycar channel it's named after you because they're all fans of you um okay and they they call themselves the hilda stands all right i like it <laughs> yeah right on so i asked them I asked them if they had any questions for you, and some of them were inspired from earlier questions. Uh, but a question that stood out was they, and it kind of relates to the last question. They want to know about your hair care routine. Do you have a routine for mm. your hair? I'm also curious to know this. I, I, you know, I, I don't mean this as a, this is a this is a not so humble brag, but I, I don't have to do that much. Oh my I just, god! Naturally, I got, I got lucky. I got wow. lucky, guys. Um, well, that's cool. <laughs> no, yeah, I you know I I, I definitely uh, right, shampoo well. and conditioner always both. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I don't use uh, no product, no nothing. I'm surprised so, by this honestly. This is you know, this is the tea, Zach. This is this the right here's the tea. This is breaking news. Yeah. Like, so anyways, I don't to tell you. That's cool. I, I, that's <laughs> I love that for you though. Meanwhile, I'm like balding and my hair's frizzy every day. It's okay. <laughs> I, I I know I'm lucky. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, um, anyways, so, um, I wanted to know, um, well, so what plans, if at all, do you have for this year, um, in motorsports, um, for this upcoming season and what's like, I guess the one thing that is your current goal, whether that's like a next step as a race car driver or what's so like what's the current thing that you're kind of aiming for if at all if anything yeah yeah. um i mean for this year it's 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 kind of up in the air and i've been in this spot in this spot before not knowing like exactly how things are going to shake out for indie or or whatever else is going on but this year because of the you know you guys have seen in the news like just the engine availability for the 500 is definitely making it tricky this season so um you know, there's more full-time entries than there's been in a long time and really limited engine availability for the speedway. So that just puts kind of a crunch on the part-time entries. Basically, there's just not that many that are available. Uh, it sort of remains to be seen at the moment, whether Ray Hall is even going to run a fourth. Um, so that's, that's one that like seemed like it was definitely just in terms of what the landscape of the whole thing looks like. I feel like, you know, the it's sort of like myself and Ryan Hunter Ray and potentially the two NASCAR, you know, the Kyles that have kind of been in this conversation for whatever remaining seats exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And, 
it seems like the two NASCAR guys have sort of pushed. You know, like I don't I don't know for sure. You know, it doesn't I don't think Larson will run this year since they've obviously got their deal sorted for twenty twenty four with McLaren. Um right. it doesn't sound to me like Kyle Bush is gonna do a deal. He's kind of he was sort of in a similar boat. I actually this this would maybe you guys would be surprised by this, but like got to know Kyle Bush pretty well over the last like starting in like twenty nineteen. Really? Wow. Um which not a friendship I was anticipating. Yeah. I don't know if friendship is the right word, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like, not a not not a not somebody who I thought I'd like be on a text thread with. But nonetheless, wow. um, you know, it just a, he's just like such a hardcore racer. Like we kind of like found each other, found ourselves in a similar situation at one point, and uh, yeah, I like I I couldn't help but respect like just how badly he wanted to like kick everyone's ass in everything. It was just like, Oh my God. Like, I can't believe this dude is, this guy is, this guy is like the modern AJ Foyt. He just hasn't like had a chance to prove it yet. Um, so anyway, the, it, it sort of strikes me that both of those guys are holding out for getting in like a, for sure competitive situation as opposed to, you know, a dryer and Reinbold or, a you know, extra car somewhere that isn't Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, whatever. Um, So with all of that being said, there's still definitely a couple of seats floating around for Indy, but it's a little unclear to me, like at this point, what exactly the decision-making process for how those seats get filled is going to be. You know, and I've kind of texted back and forth with Hunter Ray and he doesn't really know either. And so we're kind of like, mm. all right, we, we kind of feel like we should be the guys in these seats, but, but mm. we're getting a little bit of radio silence. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, I've been working for the last like three years on getting an IndyCar car to Pikes peak because I really want to go break the open wheel record Ooh. at Pikes peak. And that to me has just been like, it was such a, you know, the Indy, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the 500, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, you know, the Bonneville Salt Flats. These were like the original domains of speed and performance in North America. They all kind of held their first events around the same time, like in the early 1900s. Um, you know, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb is the second oldest and longest running event just to the Indy 500. So... We, you know, a lot of us and Chevrolet for a long time thought like, man, just how cool would it be if like literally the month immediately following the Indy 500, you went and took the Indy car basically as as it rolls off the track at the speedway and took it to Pikes Peak. I mean, it was something that the Unser's and Mario and, all you know, Parnelli Jones, all those guys used to do back in the back in the 60s. Um, So kind of a, a modern riff on that you know, we definitely thought would be a very cool story, but basically because of the engine, you know, the, the squeeze on engines and, and not really knowing exactly where the engine programs are going to be going into the next like couple of years, um, Mm -hmm. is sort of making it. So the resources to support that just aren't kind of don't, aren't really there. Um, so I've, I've, I've put a bit of a hold on that exploring like, what else is out there that might be interesting kind of to prep for that eventually happening. Um, and otherwise, like, you know, I've, I've had some interesting opportunities over the last or some interesting things that have come up over the last 
probably 18 months or, or 24 months or something, um, you know, to become involved or like kind of an integral part of starting new teams, starting new programs, mm. uh, being a part of that. I think, you know, I've been really fortunate to, I think kind of have, I got, you know, have the, the respect of a lot of engineers and mechanics and people that work for teams within the paddock. Um, so that's been, that's mm-hmm. been a really interesting, just like conversation to be having a, a, like to say, I have the respect of those guys, like sounds like pompous or something, but just to, to be able to go in and have the conversation with a lot of people about if they wanted to do something new, if they wanted to start something, you know, start something from scratch, mm-hmm. um, and, and have a lot of interest to do that. So I think that's something that I definitely consider because there's just such a, you know, across motorsports really, but definitely in the United States, you know, you see, you see some interesting things happening. You see Zach Brown and McLaren doing some things differently. You know, there's, there's some cool stuff that gets done, but, um, you know, I, I guess I sort of stand back and I say like, you know, where, who, who is, who is like the golden state warriors of who's the Steve Kerr of, the next generation of like motorsports, like, you know, in some of these stick and ball teams and I bring them up, I'm, I'm a Warriors fan. So like, I guess part of it, but, um, you know, Steve Kerr, their head coach, you know, one of his, his top priorities are like that the players find joy in their experience playing basketball together that, you know, they, they all uh, have like a mindfulness practice. Like there's all of this stuff that's just a much more like modern and kind of progressive take on how you run an organization and how you extract maximum performance. That's, that's very different from like just having insanely high expectations of everybody and cracking the whip, you know? And so Mm. um, I think like, going that going down that path is definitely something i'm not sure that i would say that it's specifically a goal of mine but definitely something that's been interesting to kind of you know consider and think about over the last year or so is a is a role like what dario does at ganassi like a mentor kind of role that interests you at all so i think you did that a little bit with like kyle kirkwood at foyt right yeah, Maybe it's just th- that that to me, I guess, I mean, if if you're asking what I'd really like to be doing, like, you know, I would not shy away from like being given the keys to the bus at IndyCar. Like, you know, I think there's mm-hmm. there's so much of just being kind of a little dissatisfied with where our sport is and with the lack of urgency to like do some things differently and to take some chances and. And I would like, I just feel like there is no risk in a lot of that, frankly, from like where we sit right now. But to, to more directly answer your question, I say that basically because, you know, doing driver coaching, like, you know, doing stuff like that, it just doesn't really appeal to me that much. You know, like some of that maybe is, I guess uh, to me, and this is not to say anything about about Dario or anybody else that does that or makes a living doing that, but I feel like that would be the type of thing for me that I would do to like collect a paycheck, you know, like mm. not necessarily because I'm super passionate about that component of, you know, what we what we do in our sport. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So a like a leadership role would be more what you're kind of thinking about um beyond right now. Yeah, and I don't I don't, you know, obviously that's that's something that requires somebody sticking you in that role, right? So it's not something that right, I right. necessarily can just be like, yeah, this is what I'm gonna do. Um gonna go bomb bombard the Indy buy car Indy car. And just, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Hey, Mark Miles, get out of here. Um it's my me, and friend, me and Mark me and Mark are friends. Um you know, but I've done, you know, I've done some, I've done consulting work for, for Mark and, and the series, you know, like five or six years ago, um, you know, we looked at a lot of like, what were the high reaching opportunities for the IndyCar series looking like 10, 20 years into the future? Like, where could this all go? Where do we, what is, where does electrification fit into any of this, if at all? Like where, what are these things? What are, what are, what are things that are just going to happen in the world over the next 20 years? Like, what are some just general trends that we're going to have to play off of as a sport, like one way or the other. Um, and that stuff always just really interests me. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting, um, y- you know, things to reference. There's other things that are going on in other sports. There's other things that are going on kind of adjacent to our industry that, um, you know, I think we could learn a lot from. So, um, yeah, you know, if if I was to say that there's something that I'd I'd like to be doing in some capacity going forward, it's you know having an influence on um, you know making this thing we do as awesome as possible. I love that. And for the record, with what you said earlier in the marketing topic, I think you understand what's going on. I'm not saying like be head of marketing, just like in general, you understand kind of what's going on, and you'd be really good at that if you decided to do that or something in that realm. So thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And then Zach, I think we've reached the end here because we just have our question that we ask all of our guests. If you'd like to read that. Yep. So um, we ask all of our guests here on the gay racing podcast, if you could drive a lap in any car past or present at any track past or present, um, what would you pick? You can give an explanation. Um, So, you have the okay. you have the world. What is it? All right, um, I'm taking the 1973 Porsche 91730 Can Am championship winning Can Am car. So this was like there's there's a quote that's attributed to Mark Donahue that says who drove this car that says mm-hmm. uh, if you can make black stripes from the exit of one corner to the braking zone of the next then you finally have enough horsepower. Um, so the 91730 was like 1,450 horsepower wow. uh, turbo V12, I guess, from from Porsche. Ooh. Like uh, widely regarded as just the most insane race car that was ever built. It essentially killed the series because it stomped on everybody so badly Wow! Um, and was deemed so oh extraordinarily gosh. unsafe that like they had to do something about it. <laughs> Um, and so I would take that at the Nordschleife, uh, just, just cause it gives you the most time, I yeah, guess, to I like guess, get a oh handle on it. I guess. And, so. and you know what, like if it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket and whatever, then not too many worse ways to go out than that. So, uh, that's my, I think that's, that's my pick. That track. I feel, that track feel pretty. There might, it might. Like, I'll think about it a little more. There might be some other picks, but 
I'd take that. One thing that I would actually like to do, though, is that's not like doesn't I don't know doesn't seem like quite the insane fantasy. Is like I want to drive some of the cars, some of the like late pre-wing Indy cars at Indy, like before they had all the downforce. You know, so mm-hmm. so like the like Bobby Unser's nineteen you know seventy or or the Al Unser uh, the Johnny Lightning car because like you go see those cars in the museum mm-hmm. and stuff and they've got like enormous tire they got like drag slicks on those things like huge tires in the front and the back like there was this really brief period kind of from when the turbine cars ran to like I think it was seventy one or uh, seventy two maybe they allowed like bolt on wings and the cars immediately went. 20 miles an hour faster and it's much more of kind of the modern take on the whole thing but um i want to drive those like you know big horsepower pre-wing cars just because they look like they i don't know they just look super gnarly and we and it's been like we don't you know it's been and it's been since then really since you've seen something that was like went sideways at the speedway that wasn't like about to smash into the wall basically you know that sounds crazy (laughs) which i feel like we need more of we need more we need more sideways in our lives that just makes things more fun Mm -hmm. so are we gonna are you saying we should put dirt on indianapolis and have world of outlaws go run there all right nascar chill out i mean (laughs) i'm definitely i said this on twitter that like i'm definitely not opposed like think about like usac back in those days they had that you know whatever the use in the late 60s you know, you'd go, you'd go run the, your pavement pavement thing at the speedway. You'd go run something else at the road course. If it was paved, uh, short track, maybe it's the same car that you ran at the speedway. Maybe it's not. They had mm-hmm. dirt tracks that were a part of the schedule that you went and raced something totally different, like a you know upright dirt champ car. Pikes Peak was a points paying event on the IndyCar on the USAC calendar for a few years, like. Make the make the BC thirty nine a points paying IndyCar race, like that is insane. Not not in IndyCars, like just make all the IndyCar guys go do it and yes. like pay points for it. Like that'd be badass. I mean, hey, I would take an eighteenth race if that's what it took. Another for... oval, let's go. <laughs> Middle of the week. Yeah, yeah. we talk about I'm another gonna... oval. It get like a right, Thursday, well, whatever. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take whatever yeah. ovals I can get. Right. Okay, listen, Richmond's not gonna got, happen. Got, I'll take it. I got two buyers. I got two buyers All on right. this pit. So, um, well, Jr., thank you, you thank you so much, um, for everything, for having this conversation with us. Um, it was very insightful, very interesting, um, quite entertaining, of course. Um, and yeah, so, um, before we let you go, um, listeners, we, me and Alex are gonna be back, um, with our next episode, I believe, after the Rolex Twenty Four to talk about that. And then we're gonna get caught up on all the motorsports stuff that's been. Going hey, did on I tell time. you oh. that New Garden was gonna be there or what? You did and say McLaughlin? that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, you blew my mind with that. I was like, I gotta prepare. I can't <laughs> believe that. Well, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad that they're. Thank I'm you. glad. I'm glad it turned out to be true. Yeah, for those guys okay. and for you. So if I, so Jr. If I tweet Joseph needs to win the indy 500 like will you just say get ready will you do that again it'll just happen oh, no. well if i th- if i think it's gonna happen i will oh, oh okay <laughs> doesn't work like that alex 
I carry will on. Be trying to stay I appreciate you guys having me on. Yep. Uh, and uh, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this episode and and whatever comes next for you guys after yeah. that. Yeah, and we're looking thank forward you. to hopefully seeing you on track this year, Jr. Um, but yeah, cheers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So thank you guys.